Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, uh, it's nice to be back. I got to spend the last week in Wyoming out with my family, with my, well, predominantly, uh, I guess it'd be my family, with my mom and my uncle and aunt. Got to go deer and elk hunting. Um, the one time I don't have a bull elk tag, I saw three six-by-six six bull elk and two five-by-fives. One of them, about 20 yards, scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, came walking up on this rock ledge, stand there looking through my binoculars. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this horrendous crash coming through the dead trees, and there's a five-by-five bull elk 20 yards from me. Scared the daylights out of me. Like, I'm standing in the middle of the wilderness in Wyoming, and this dude just bowls out of there. <laughs> like, whoa, what the... And of course, I couldn't shoot him. So um, anyways, <laughs> hey, have, I want to ask you this question. We started a new series last week, and I appreciate Chris for preaching. He's done a phenomenal job leading our worship team and uh, filling in and coming into uh, a, a great position. I believe that, that he's uh, as one of our pastors, and I appreciate Chris. I appreciate our praise team. I appreciate what you guys do. But last week, we started a new series called Living Hope. We're going through the book of First Peter. And one of the reasons why I felt like as I was kind of reading through the Bible was that there is a lot of things going on right now in our society, in our world, that if you were to watch the news enough, if you were to listen to social media enough, if you were to deal with all the pain and the heartache and the struggle that maybe some have gone through over the last year, year and a half, you would sit there and tell me that there is no hope. Like, I am looking at a government that's fallen apart. I'm looking at a society that's fallen apart. I'm looking at a, an economy that, to a certain extent, right now is riding okay, but we all know at some point is going to crash. I know that we have a number of things going on in China right now, that there's some tension between China and Taiwan, and the United States is, is making statements, and there's all kinds of stuff going on around the world that if we were to be overwhelmed by or to be filled with, we would begin to say, look, there is no hope. Matter of fact, you may even look at society right now, or you may look at America and go, oh my gosh, is this the end? Like, I've had multiple conversations with people who are like, we gotta be living in the end days, Brian. And I go, well, I'll bet they were kind of thinking that back in the Crusades. I mean, they're probably thinking that back in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. They're probably thinking that during the Civil War or the Revolutionary War, that things couldn't get any worse. And the one thing I would say about the book of 1 Peter is this, is that there is a hope that we get to experience and understand that regardless of what goes on around us, that we can have hope in our everyday life. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. It's toward the end of the New Testament. First Peter, we're going to look at verse 13 and following. We're going to finish this. But I want you to understand what First Peter, the book of First Peter was written. is written to Jewish and Gentile Christians who had been scattered. That's what Chris talked about last week, who had been scattered across this area. It says throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And for those of you who don't know, that would be modern-day Turkey. Right? Like you're like, well, what are those places? I don't know where any of those places are. Well, it's modern day northern Turkey. And if you know anything about northern Turkey right now, if you know anything about the, the country of Turkey, Christianity is not accepted. If you're a Christian, you are persecuted. It's against the law to be a Christian because Islam rules. As a matter of fact, I read a story today. I don't know if you've heard about this in Afghanistan right now. There was a young teenage girl who was part of the youth. Uh, volleyball team, the, 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 the national volleyball team in Afghanistan who lived in Kabul, who was beheaded. Imagine that, teenage girl. 
And the only reason she was beheaded is because she was playing volleyball and wasn't covered, right? And so we can sit back and we can look at things like that, but I want you to begin to understand what's gonna happen as a result of people who are Christians. And we're starting to see it already here in the United States. And I can tell you that there are things going on right now of of people that we know, Somalis and stuff like that, that we've had the chance, uh, or I've known people who have had the chance to share the gospel and somebody becomes a Christian because they become a Christian, they are ostracized and kicked out of their family right here in Kansas City. We have a large Somali population right here in the city of Kansas City that if you were to go down on 24th or Independence Avenue and you could head down by Elio's Coffee Shop and places like that, there are 54 nationalities living in a six-block area. Some strong Muslim. We have new Afghan people who are gonna be coming in. We know that we have at least one. They're saying up to as many as 550 Afghan refugees are gonna be moving into Kansas City. And what I want you to understand is this that that is an opportunity for us to share the gospel, number one. Number two, it's for us to understand that there's gonna be a cost that's gonna come for Christians and believers in the United States. We have to begin to understand this, all right? That at some point in time, based upon what scripture teaches us, that we're going to have to suffer. I don't know what that throws in your mind or what you begin to think about, but the reality of suffering for Christ is something that's seen all throughout Scripture. And I'll be honest, it's one of those things that most churches don't like to teach, most Christians don't like to talk about, and the truth of the matter is there is a theology of suffering that we have to begin to understand as believers. But listen, here's the good news. In the midst of the suffering that we can walk with hope, that's what 1 Peter's getting to. So 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 13. Listen to what he says. As a result of what Chris preached on last week, which we'll kind of unpack just a little bit, not much. As a result, or therefore, verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for what? Action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ or Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform. Listen, do not conform to what? The evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in, I love this part, all you do. Not in some things, not on Sunday things, not when I'm around my church people, not when I'm around my kids, but what? Holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that in such, or sorry, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, listen to this, for your sake, for each of our sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would speak to us. And God, maybe it is just as we sang that we 
need to lay down our baggage and our burdens at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's a step that I need to take to put my faith and trust, to to acknowledge you as my Savior, to acknowledge you as our Lord, to acknowledge that your sacrifice of your son was the price paid for my sins and for the sins of the world, and to acknowledge that publicly by following you in baptism. Maybe that's the step I need to take, but Lord, we pray today that just as we sang, that Christ would be around us, that God, your spirit would fill this place, that you would speak to the lives of each and every person here because we know you're the one that does the supernatural work as we look into your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to think about this. Peter is, is literally dealing with and knowing that persecution is going to arise among these churches and among these people who have been scattered. Matter of fact, they've already been scattered as a result of some minor persecution, but now he knows that there's gonna be some things that come up. And listen, here's the thing that we have to begin to understand, all right? Is that in the midst of everything that we go through, in the midst of the difficulties and the struggles, that we can walk through our daily lives with great hope. Like, regardless of what you face, like, I can think back over the last couple years, and I think of probably some of the hardest time was the the two years before my dad passed, and then when my dad passed. But listen, one of the great things as I walked through that that process, listen to me, there wasn't mourning, there wasn't a a, a lack of hurt, there wasn't a lack of of sorrow, there wasn't, there was an empty spot. I'm like, man, my dad's gone. But at the same time, we were able to celebrate with hope because we knew that my dad wasn't facing eternity apart from God, that my dad was eternally with God forever because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And and listen, as we walk through this, as we face the difficulties, Peter wants us to know that we can have a great hope, a living hope. As a matter of fact, that's where Chris kind of unpacked a little bit last year, but if you look At verse three, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Now, here's the good news. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then what your understanding is, the the Bible is very clear that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In other words, he's in a new birth. He has a new life. He is newly made. The old is gone, the old has passed away, and now he can walk in this new life in Christ, and there's great boldness. And so as we look at Peter, the main idea of Peter is this new birth that gives us a living hope whenever we are in the midst of persecution or whenever we're in the midst of difficulties and struggles, trials and temptations. But I'll also wanna look at over the next couple weeks leading up, and we'll take a break for our Christmas series, but we'll, we'll, we'll go through, as we're going through Peter, we're gonna see that this idea of a living hope means that there should be new conduct in my life. Like I should conduct myself differently. There should be new behavior. And it's required to demonstrate the grace of God to a hostile world. That's why when we talk about this whole idea of this living hope, what is it's living holy in a hostile world? Like we can sit back and we can complain and we can worry and we can struggle and we can fret or we can walk with a hope that Jesus offers us. And listen, there's a new responsibility that are placed upon the leaders and members of the body of Christ since they should be standing together. So we're gonna unpack 1 Peter over the next couple months. Well, like I said, we'll take a break over Christmas, but I wanna unpack today just some things I wanna look at. I wanna give you the main statement, the main idea today. I will say this, and I get made fun of now. If you remember anything, 
remember this, right? If you remember anything else, remember this. Living hope calls us to a life of holiness. The living hope that Jesus Christ offers calls me to a life of holiness. Not a life of, okay, I'll sometimes be holy. Not a life of, I'll be holy on Sundays. Not a life of, I can do whatever the heck I want. I don't need to follow Jesus the rest of the time. Not a life to say, hey, I can chase after the the crazy things of the world and the things that are gonna fill this void that I think are gonna fill this void, but in reality, don't. Living hope calls us to a life of holiness. And here's how we're gonna see that today. I want you to see this, that listen to what he says in verse 13. Therefore, if this living hope, this idea that Jesus and what Jesus offers, this living hope calls us to a life of holiness, I want you to see this, that we have to be prepared for action, right? Like if I was to say to prepare for action, some of you would be like, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna hammer my code and I'm gonna get my gun ready and I'm prepared for action. And others, you can be like, prepare for action. I'm gonna go home, I'll put on my running shoes. You're talking about running, All of these things kind of play hand in hand, but we must be prepared for action as believers in the daily things that we do, that we prepare for the action. Listen to what he says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope. So here's, there's actually five commands given in this first paragraph. Five commands that is given by Peter to the believers that we have to understand. Number one, command number one, prepare your mind for action. Prepare your minds for action. And that, now, there's some flaws to a certain extent in the English language. Like the NIV does as good as it can to a certain extent in trying to communicate this to us. When it says prepare your minds for action, right? There's some things in the Hebrew and the Greek that we oftentimes can't understand everything that's going on. But I want you to know what it actually means. It means to gird up your loins of your minds. And you might be like, gird up the loins of your minds. That's the weirdest thing ever, right? But back in the day, the Jewish believers, basically they would all wear their long robe type garments that were very cooling to a certain extent. But when they were told to prepare their minds for action, the idea would be just like they would do in the race. For those of you who don't know, like when 1 Corinthians talks about running the race and things like that, what they would do is they would take their, their, their robe or whatever, and they would tuck it between their legs somehow and tie it around their waist, almost make it shorts. And it's the idea of preparing for action in the race of life. And so when he says to prepare your minds for action, he's literally saying that we need to be prepared to understand, to to do the work, to be prepared for the strenuous activity that we're going to face on a daily basis. It would admonish the readers to be ready, listen, to be ready to see the work of God and to respond to him with instant obedience. I want you to think about that, instant obedience, that when God tells me to do something, I do it. So there's command number one, to prepare your minds for action. Here's, let me clarify this way. I, I think it's something that we all have to understand and begin to put into practice. That in every situation, I have to prepare my mind for what I'm going to face on a daily basis. And listen, here's the problem. A lot of times we prepare our minds by this. We wake up in the morning, we open up Facebook, or we open up Twitter, or we open up Instagram, or we open up TikTok, or we open up what else? I mean, Snapchat, or we open up, and, and, and that's how we prepare for our day. Or maybe it's just turning on the news, or maybe it's listening to a radio station, 
and we prepare our minds for those things, then we begin to understand or we begin to go, well, I don't understand why I'm having so many problems, so many difficulties, so many flaws when I need to stand up and stand for the right thing, but we stand for the very things with which we fill our minds with. And so this idea of preparing for action literally needs to be a thing that we prepare ourselves from a spiritual standpoint for the action that God wants to do in our lives. Number two, the second command he gives is this. He says, prepare your minds for action, be what? You could cheat, it's in the Bible. Be self-controlled, right? I mean, he says, be self-controlled. In reality, he says, be sober. Now, let me be very clear. I believe that this could obviously be talking about like a physical drunkenness, but I also wanna say this. I also believe it's not allowing the mind to wander or be misled into the mental and emotional intoxication that we let things overwhelm us. I'll be honest with you. Some of the stuff I see on social media and it's from believers, I'm like, oh my gosh. Are you intoxicated with the ways of the world? Are you intoxicated by what the news and media feed you? Are you intoxicated even by those who may line up with where you're at in a certain way politically, but at the same time, they're out of line with where you're at spiritually? He literally says, be self-controlled or sober. It would carry the mind that we don't want my mind to wander or be misled into the mental or, listen, emotional intoxication of the world. So living hope, when I walk through life and I say, I have no hope, you are emotionally intoxicated by the world of everything else because you're saying, I'm putting my hope in everything else that can fall and fail and fade away. But when I put my hope in Jesus Christ, the living hope, regardless of how everything else goes around me, I can walk through life with hope because I'm self-controlled and I'm sober-minded. I'm not emotionally and mentally intoxicated by what the world is trying to pour into my life. Instead, I am filled and I am self-controlled and I am sober because I am sure of what Jesus offers in my life. So there's that sober mentality. We can talk about the, 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 the physical drunkenness, but I also wanna talk about this idea of mental and emotional. And then listen, it's this whole idea of intoxication. What happens when I'm intoxicated? And it befuddles the mind, right? It confuses the mind. It takes away the ability to make a wise decision. And I'll even say it this way. I wrote this down. A rational biblical decision, right? When I'm intoxicated, it takes away the ability to make a rational biblical decision and rather it inhibits our spiritual alertness or any kind of laziness of mind which lulls Christians into the sin through carelessness. I have to be sober-minded. Now, listen, I wanna be very clear. We can become drunk with all kinds of thoughts. Thoughts on our career, thoughts on our possessions, We can be drunk or intoxicated by recreation and friendship and schoolwork or, listen, authority. We can be so intoxicated, mentally and emotionally intoxicated by the authority around us. And let me be very clear. Government overreach is at an all-time high. Others are beginning to say it's okay to force people to do things that they don't want to do. And some of us are so intoxicated with that that we're missing out on the very thing that God wants to do, and and that's being self-controlled, being of sober mind. Listen, 
social media, terrible journalism. And I, I, I feel like we have the right to say that because journalism doesn't report facts today. It's all about opinion. And I don't care who you listen to. I mean, like, when I was growing up, Sports Center, this is one thing I love. My, my wife would tell you when we first got married, too. Like, Sports Center was on repeat. And it was, like, the scores didn't change, but it was scores. It was scores and highlights. That's all I want. I can't even turn on Sports Center now without getting the why this team should have done this and that, and it's a big old talk show and debates. I'm like, can I just get the highlights of the games? Like, I would love to go back. I don't know if Sports Center, if ESPN would listen to me. I doubt it. They never will. But I wish ESPN would have a channel where I could just get the highlights, right? Like, I wish there was a news channel that would just give you the actual news, not your opinion. I don't need the five on, on, on Fox. I don't need Don Lemon telling me his opinion because that's exactly what it is, is your opinion. I don't need any of that stuff. I need to be sober-minded. I need to take in the truth of what's going on and make a decision based upon that. And I can't allow social media or any other terrible journalism to lead me into, listen, an intoxified state where I'm mentally and emotionally intoxicated. So this is what he says. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Now listen to this. Here's the third command. Set your hope what? Fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Fully, I set my hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's beauty in that. There's a hope in that. As a matter of fact, it, it blew my mind yesterday, but it's something I think we have to begin to think about. But there are statements that people have to begin to understand that it just is crazy. Chris texted me yesterday, not too long ago, the facts about 70% of born-again Christians say Jesus Christ isn't the only way to God. Let me clarify something. You want to know why people have no hope? When you make that statement, you're not going to walk with hope. Because in reality, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to church, but I don't have hope in the very promises of God, the promise that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, the promise that Jesus said he rose again, he did rise again. We see eyewitness testimony of that, that he defeated sin, he defeated death, he offers us life and life more abundantly, and he says, listen, I'm coming back. If Jesus Christ isn't coming back, then you and I have no hope. The Bible is built upon that. That is a foundational truth of scripture that we have to begin to understand. And so he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. There is a time, according to scripture, that the trumpet will sound, that Jesus Christ will show up. And it says that those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive will be caught up with them in heaven. Now, I joke about this all the time, but I always tell everybody that I want to be buried at sea. I was in the Navy, and that's one of those opportunities. And I don't know, maybe, I, maybe we need to be buried at like some prominent points. Like, can I be buried near the Washington Monument? So that when all those non-Christians are around the Washington Monument, monument visiting it, and Jesus shows up, that all of a sudden these bodies start flying up out of the ground. And they're going to be like, what the, what the heck is going on? Imagine a ship captain being out at sea and just seeing this body come flying up out of the ocean. I'd venture to say we might have a couple heart attacks, stroke. But think about this. Set your hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ shows up again, 
That's a promise. He said he will come back. That when Jesus Christ shows up again, that my hope is built upon that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of what Jesus offers us. And listen to what he says. Number one, there are three commands so far we cover. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children. Now here's the fourth command. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Here's the idea that Jesus makes us this new creation, right? And as he makes us this new creation, this whole idea of not being conformed echoes the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, where he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is my spiritual act of worship. And then he says in verse two, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what's that saying again, right? Prepare my mind for action and I have to be sober or self-controlled. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know the will of God, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Here's what's crazy about that. How do I know the will of God? When I allow myself to be controlled as a holy vessel by God and I pursue obedience to him each and every day and in each and every way. Can I, can I be honest with you here from the American church perspective? Holiness is oftentimes one of those things that we don't desire or strive for. Because we ask questions like this. How much can I get away with and still be okay? When the real question should be, God, how can I be holy? Just as you are holy. Because that's what you've called me to do. So listen to what he says again. There's the four commands. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now verse 15. But... Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Listen, do not think, do not act, do not talk, or do not respond like the world does. That's exactly what he's talking about. Hope built on Christ's return not only encourages the downcast Christians, but it prompts a, a reordering of the priorities of our lives. And listen, I believe it will lead to changes in our own lives and in the lives of our church. Number two, if living hope calls us to live a life of holiness, all right, then we have to understand this. Here's the second thing I want you to see today, that holiness is obedient to Christ or obedience to Christ over everything else. Here's another thing. I'm just gonna be very honest with what's going on. The holiness of God himself is both the pattern for holiness and the reason for holiness, like in other words, it's the model that we do holiness or we strive for holiness and it's also the very reason why we want to be holy. Obedience to God necess necessitates becoming holy like him. Listen to what he says. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in, and I had you say that, but I want you, if you got your Bible, I want you to highlight, circle it, whatever you gotta do, all you do, 
everything I do should be about holiness. And listen to me, I'm gonna step on my own toes. That even means driving. <laughs> right? Like when the dude cuts you off, when the dude flips you off, when somebody's doing something that you can't drive, I'm like, oh man, that was, yeah. I was texting my wife the other day. <laughs> I'm driving home, I'm on I-80. This guy was doing 65. It's 80 across parts of Wyoming and Nebraska. He's doing 65 in the left lane and he won't pass the semi next to him. So I finally get to where I'm gonna pass him. He gets in the right lane. And next thing I know, we're doing 95. I'm like, you seriously? You couldn't do 65 in the left lane and now you wanna do 95. So I slow down, I get back over. Guess who slows down? So I go to pass him. As soon as I started to pass it, I'm like, really? I just got my crew set, dude. All you got to do is, so anyways, but this is holiness. Holiness is obedience to Christ over everything else. In other words, when I ask myself this question, is this holy or is this something I want to do out of the sin nature that's in my life? How I work, is it holy or is it about gaining the acceptance of the people I work around? How I speak, is it holy what I watch, is it holy? What I listen to, is it holy? How I respond to those who respond negatively to me, is it holy? Holy means set apart, different. And listen to what God calls us to do, to live as holy individuals. Because he says, listen, be holy because I am holy. Now listen, for those believers, this would echo greatly because what they would understand is Leviticus. For those of you who have read through the Bible, maybe you get to Leviticus and you hit a brick wall. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, and then in chapter 19, verse 2, right before the Lord is leading them into the promised land, he tells the people of Israel this, be holy because I'm holy. And now Peter is laying out this truth to the other disciples, to the people, listen, both Jews and Gentiles, right? This isn't just Jewish people. This isn't just the Israelites. He's telling both Jews and Gentiles who have relationship with God through Jesus, the son, to be holy because he is holy, because I'm going to lead you into the promised land. So when Peter makes this statement and he ties it to the Old Testament, those, Old Te or those believers there who heard that, especially the Jewish believers, immediately would have went, oh my gosh. He's referencing the future promise of what's going to come when Jesus comes back. He's talking about leading us into this promised land, this eternity with God, this hope that we can have, that regardless of anything that we face, that holiness is going to lead us into the promised land. Obedience to God necessitates becoming holy and like him. So when I say this, holiness is obedience to God and keeping his commands and his precepts because we belong to God. We are a people who have been separated out from the world by our way of life. Holiness, and listen, here's, here's one of those things we have to begin to understand. Holiness not only affects my relationship with God, but it affects my relationship with everybody else. I have never seen a conflict in the church where one person was saying, I'm striving for holiness and let conflict continue to go on. Unless it was heretical teaching. So when we talk about holiness, you know one of the hardest things to do is to accept fault even when you feel like you're not at fault, right? Like, man, there's been times where I've been in conflict with people 
And I'll, I'm, I'm listening to them, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, not gonna listen to you, not gonna listen to you. And then at some point, I realize I obviously offended them. And my, thought, my skull is just thick enough. It takes me a little bit sometimes to get to that point, right? For, but it's all of a sudden like, I have obviously said something that has offended this person. And do you know how quick things can change when you finally go, I'm sorry. I've obviously offended you. I have obviously upset you by my words, my actions, maybe what I said. And I'm a guy with no filter. My wife tells you that, right? If you've been around me long enough, you'll know. Like, I'm not gonna sugarcoat things. If, if, if there's a problem, I like to hit a problem head on. I wanna talk about it. I'm not, I'm not I don't, when I say a problem, I'm not here. I, I'm, I don't wanna be the guy who's like coming in Duke's, you know, swinging Duke's just ready to knock somebody out. But I wanna make sure that we can take care of it. And sometimes as a result of that, I'm the dude who says something and my wife's like, yeah, you were right, but you probably shouldn't have said that. Anybody ever been there? Like I find myself there more often than not because I'm that kind of guy. You know, it's the old statement and I've, I've said this before, but it's the old statement, I love you enough to stab you in the heart, not the back. Like, <laughs> you know, and for some people they're like, yeah, I don't like that. But listen, listen what he says. Be holy in all that you do. See, the public behavior of Christians should testify not only to their faith in God, but it should also show the character of God and witness to the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. It should literally be an incentive for others to believe. That's why I wanna be holy, because it's an incentive for others to believe. And please hear me out when I say this. I believe one of the struggles that the American church oftentimes has is we don't strive for holiness, we strive for acceptance. And what Peter is saying to these believers here is this, acceptance doesn't matter if you're not holy. Holiness is what matters more than anything else. Number three, listen, verse 17 He says this, if living hope calls us to a life of holiness, I want you to think about it this way. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So here's number three that I would say, that we have to fear the displeasure of God, not man. That I need to be afraid of displeasing God, not man. That I need to make sure that my priority is to be obedient to God regardless of the cost, regardless of what happens, regardless of what man says. And let me be very clear. We dictate everything that we do based upon what? Opinion? Preference? Desires? No. The church should biblically withhold the truth of God. It builds It's foundation upon God's word and we stand behind God's word solely, only, nothing else. That way when man, listen, says, well, it's okay to do these things. That's not what the Bible says. What's okay to have fun however you wanna have fun? It's not what the Bible says. And Again, we go back to this holiness aspect. If God lays out this promise or this precepts that he wants us to respond to and he, he says, listen, my blessing is upon those who are obedient and holy and are set apart and different. Do you want God's blessing? Or do you want God to say, fine, do whatever you want? Because that's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. 
They would be holy for a little while, and then after a while, they would give in to the ways of the world. And as they gave into the ways of the people that are around them and they begin to let that teaching influence them, they begin to respond in different ways. Then they begin to see that holiness isn't a priority. Then God begins to discipline his people. And listen, I don't know about you, I don't like discipline, but if God begins to discipline his people, including his church, is God gracious? Yes. Listen to me, God is also the one who builds his church. God is the one that this church is built upon. God is the one who controls all things. And I think we can go back to verses one and two when it says to God's elect strangers, and then it clarifies and he unpacks the truth of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all there at work in verse two. He says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience to Christ over everything else. So I have to fear the displeasure of man or of God, not man. And listen to what he says. Some of us may have a father who maybe you don't like, maybe you have problems with, maybe he wasn't a good father. I don't know. But God the Father is the perfect father. But he's also the perfect judge. And it says he judges each man's work, listen, impartially. In other words, you're going to be held accountable for your work, and I'm going to be held accountable for my work. And so he tells us as a result of that, then we live as strangers. Nobody likes that word, right? Like if I'm like, yeah, we had a stranger over to our house, you'd be like, what are you doing? But he says that our call is to live as strangers in this world. Not necessarily to fit in, not to fit the mold, not to look like everybody else who's not a follower, but to be different. And so we live as strangers in this world, foreigners in reverent fear. And here's why he says it. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as gold or silver, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. Here's the truth. We should live in this world filled with its temptations, with reverence for God in the face of judgment. We were slaves and now we are free. We were redeemed by Christ, paying the ransom through his shed blood on the cross. He was chosen before the creation of the world, as we see in verse 20. And listen, Christ's death was not just an ordinary death, but a sacrificial death, a death that paid the price that we couldn't pay. And so people who put their trust in God as the God who raised Jesus from the dead have been accepted by God and are friends with God and are sons and daughters of God over a father who judges each man's work impartially. So that's why we live holy lives. We live holy lives because God is going to judge us for those things. But listen, we live holy lives mostly because God redeemed us. Now, here's the problem when we start talking about redemption. Like when we talk about redemption, we think like, I redeemed a coupon right? But redemption is so much more. It's the idea of being bought from slavery. Like it's not going out and getting a, whatever, $4 gallon of milk for $3 because I used a coupon. That's not the idea. Redemption means that, that, that there was a slave on the, 
on the auction block who's been a slave to all kinds of things and somebody came in and bought or purchased this slave and gave him freedom. You and I were the slaves and Jesus came in and bought us our freedom through his death and burial and resurrection. And so that's what we begin to see. And then the number four, I want you to see this. If we are called to live holy lives, if living hope calls us to live a life of holiness, then we have to understand that obedience leads to sincere brotherly love. I go back to what I said earlier. I grew up in a conflicted church. Those who have been here long enough have heard me tell stories about it and things like that. But I want you to understand this, that there is a lot of infighting at times within the body of believers over stupid things. Here's the stab in the heart. Stupid things. Preferences. Not biblical truth. Preferences. Ideologies. Not doctrine oftentimes. You know what's funny about it is like every conflict I've oftentimes seen within the church. I've been in ministry now a little, I guess almost 20 years. No, over 20 years. Almost every conflict. I cannot think of one where a dude was just outright heretic teaching false stuff. It was conflict over preferences. It was conflict over words. It was conflict over somebody hurt my feelings and the other person won't admit it. Obedience to Jesus leads to sincere brotherly love, and here's why. If you know anything about Philippians, it says that out of humility, Christ responded in everything, and he never acknowledged his stance. When we approach every relationship with a humility or a humbleness, that when somebody says, you know what, really hurt my feelings, we don't go, oh, no, I'm talking to myself here, get over it. Quit wearing your feelings on your sleeve. But instead of a humbleness or humility, we say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Obedience to Jesus leads to a sincere brotherly love. Listen to what he says. Now that you have been purified or you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, now it says, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And here's the reason why. Because all of us will fade and wither and all of us will pass away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So when I say that we build our lives upon the truth of God's word, the reason we build our lives upon the truth of God's word is because that's the only thing that's gonna matter in the end. That's the only thing that stands forever. At my dad's funeral, when we, we had him, well, I guess he, was, he had been cremated, but when he had his, his urn there and stuff like that, he wasn't getting up again. Not at least physically here. Last I checked, my odds of death, if I was to bet on a Vegas man, I wouldn't be putting money on the fact that I'm living forever. At least not here physically. Because I know I'm gonna pass away. And so I live out of obedience to Christ with a sincere brotherly love for those. That's where people can look and go, this is my church family. This is my family. Because of brotherly love that takes place within it. Because of the, the fact that you can go to another believer and say, I, I can help you out. I can strengthen you. I can, I can encourage you. I can pray for you. What do you need? How, do, how, can, I, how can I lift you up in a time of need? And listen, 
Here's one of the things we have to understand. When persecution does happen, and I'll be the first to claim this, there were a lot of Christians when COVID happened were like, oh, it's Christian persecution. Yeah. On a very, 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 very minimal scale. Because nobody in our government put a gun to our head or held a knife to our throat and told us to deny Jesus Christ or die. I'm not saying it won't happen eventually. I believe wholeheartedly that our world continues, especially in the United States, continues to go more and more that if you take a stance on biblical truth, that there's gonna be more and more persecution. And here's what scares me about that being a pastor. When COVID happened, people ran for the hills. What's really gonna happen when persecution happens? What's really gonna happen when the government says, no, you can't meet? What's really gonna happen when the government begins to step in and say, you hold certain beliefs and certain political, they're gonna call them political beliefs and ideologies. What's really gonna happen when you begin to take a stand on God's word? Remember, point three. And I have to be obedient to God who judges me impartially, not man. So I always have a healthy fear and a reverence for God that I obey him in all things. Let me, let me close with this. And I think it's something that we have to understand. There's something that we need to, to unpack. I believe that there are occasions where the truth of the gospel is threatened, where basic Christian truths are explicitly denied. And those obviously need to be stood against. Why? Because they're unholy. I believe that there is a time where some churches will come out and say, listen, we believe you can get away with all kinds of things and we're gonna love you regardless. And listen, I'm gonna say this. We will love a person regardless of the sin that they are in because that's what Jesus has called us to do. But it doesn't mean, listen, every time this happened, Jesus never said, oh, okay, I see your sin. Go ahead and continue doing it. Jesus always said, I see your sin, go and sin no more. That's the call. And so maybe you're a person today who would say, you know what, I'm not sure, this whole idea of a living hope, please hear me out when I say this. Peter is all about a living hope. And our living hope is built upon the holiness that God has called us to. So maybe today you're a person who's never put your faith and trust in Christ. You say, I need to nail that down. Next week, we're gonna have a baptism I believe wholeheartedly the scripture tells us that if anyone is a, a believer or a follower or wants to acknowledge Jesus, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But you make it public by going public with baptism. So next week we're gonna have baptism. If you've never been baptized, you've never followed the Lord in obedience in that way, what I'm asking you to do is to come up and talk with me. I would love to talk with you about it. I'd love to pray with you, things like that. But I want to nail this down. And please hear me out, church, when I say this. We have to strive for holiness. Holiness is built upon the obedience of God, that we follow him no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great hope we have in your son, Jesus Christ. 
the promise of the world, the one who redeemed us from the very unrighteousness that we had and made us righteous in your sight. And Lord, we pray right now that just as we close with the song, that your spirit would work, that you would convict, that you would guide, that God, you would call us to a life of holiness. Maybe there's some here today that would say, look, I have not lived a holy life. I have settled for everything else. I'm chasing after things of the world and I realize that's what's squashing my hope. But God, we pray today that we can understand that we can have a living hope, an eternal hope built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone and the foundation of everything we have. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.